Welcome to the Bird's Basement Show. My name is Adrian. Our jazz club, Bird's Basement, is located in the heart of Melbourne. We have decided to interview some of the great musicians that come through the club on a regular basis. They come from all over the world and they are amazing. And this is an opportunity for our patrons to find out about the people behind the music so that you understand what makes them tick and what makes them so great. So I invite you to join me on this quest. Today I am interviewing Paul Peterson, known as St. Paul. He's playing at Bird's Basement with his band from Minneapolis this whole week until Sunday the 23rd of April. But first, let's listen to Blue Cadillac from St. Paul. such a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, this is the first podcast. Oh, I'm honored to be the first one on your, on your show. Thanks Bird's for having basement. me. It's a pleasure. And uh, how did your name came about, St. Paul? Huh. 
Well, that's a Prince thing. So back in 1985, when he formed the band The Family Around Me, he thought that Paul Peterson might be a little bit too normal. So he said, your name is St. Paul. So I've been called St. Paul for 30-some-odd years now. And I think there's a kid out there with St. Paul who's t- who, who took the name St. Paul as well. Really talented kid. Um, I can't remember the name of his band, but uh, I'm the original. <laughs> So that's uh, great. It was Prince that uh, baptized you, in other words. He he really did. That's such an honor. It must be. Yeah, it really is. And tell me, how did you meet Prince? So I had just graduated from high school, right? So I was 17 years old. I was on a vacation. I got a phone call from my brother-in-law who said, I got an audition with you for the vacancy left by Jimmy Jam, a great keyboard player, who was in a band called The Time. Morris Day and the Time. Okay, so I went home from my vacation, had to learn all the songs in one night, went and auditioned. I got a call back the second day, and that's the day I met Prince. The funny story about this is that I was nervous when Prince was there. To break the ice, to kind of just get the tension out of the air, he he wrote something on a piece of paper. He said He wrote the words, wreck, W-R-E-C-K, then a space, and then the letter A, and then a space, and then the letters S-T-O-W, Wreck-A-Stow. He said, read it out loud. I said, Wreck-A-Stow? He said, what does it mean? I said, I don't know. He said, say it again. Wreck-A-Stow. Say it again. Wreck-A-Stow. He said, do you know what it is? I went, no. He said, where do you buy your records? Say it again, Recastow. So in other words, he was trying to make me say record store, but in a, in a slang kind of way. So that's the way he broke the ice. So it was Recastow. Where you buy your records? At the Recastow. So I was the original guy he pulled that trick on, and he ended up putting that in a movie later. So that was my introdu- introduction to Prince. When he got you in the band, mm-hmm. you started singing with him? No, I was originally hired as a keyboard player in the group Morris Day and the Time. Actually, it was called The Time back in those so days. So you're multi-talented because you play bass, you play keyboard. I do, and guitar, S- and, and drums. Guitar. I grew up a so, jazz drummer. So how did it all start? Tell me. For, for me as a musician? For you as a musician. Okay, well, I have a very musical family, and I'm the youngest of five kids. My father uh, was a wonderful composer and organist and pianist. He died when I was very, very young. But my mom was also a great jazz musician. And I'm going to turn you on to her, Jeannie Arlen Peterson. You can't, you can't believe the harmony this woman had. She played professionally up until the, the year she died. She was 91, and we were still doing gigs. There's all my brothers and sisters, ranging from my sister Linda, who was the first one signed to a major deal with RCA in New York City back in the 70s. My brother Billy was on the road with uh, the Steve Miller Band for 25 years. My sister Patty is one of the best female vocalists in Minnesota seven times. She's a great uh, uh, radio celebrity and uh, one of the best singers that I've ever heard. My brother Ricky, who's with me with the Minneapolis All-Stars here at Bird's Basement through Sunday, uh, just got off the road with Stevie Nicks playing keyboards and The Pretenders and has been with John Mayer and produced Prince and David Sanborn. Then there's little old me. So I grew up in a musical household, and I didn't realize that, you know, that my friends, I'm like, what instrument do you play? I thought it was just a natural thing that everybody played music. But, of course, now that I 
I'm much older, I realized what a blessing that really was to have music in my life. And we just live and breathe it, and we still do gigs together to this day. It's fun to be able to have my brother on stage with me. It's very, really an honor to be able to bring him over here and, and perform here at Birds. So have you ever asked yourself as a kid, uh, what you, would you do as an adult? Or it oh, was no. natural that oh, you, no. you always knew it was music? There was never a question. My first time on stage was when I was four, playing drums. And when I was in high school, the teachers used to, I was working six nights a week in a club. That's really how the word got out that I could play, is that I was working in a club. My teachers would come out and see me. I'd buy how old were you? 16. I'd buy them rounds of drinks, and then I'd come in late for school the next day. It was fantastic. And they still, to this day, by the way, I, I go back to my old high school where I helped them raise funds because it's a Catholic school. We do a huge rock production called Rock the Lawn. So I go play it, and we get a bunch of alumni to play it. There must be 3,000 people there that come to this function. So, and all my old teachers come. So it's like a, a reunion of sorts. Among all the instruments you play, is there a go-to instrument, your main one? I think the one that comes most naturally to me is the bass, and that's why I've gravitated to that. But I grew up a drummer, a jazz drummer, idolizing Tony Williams and all oh, the greats, you know, Elvin Jones. It was That is my passion, and I, in fact, I still play drums back home when I can. It's one of my favorite things to do. But, uh, I, I, you know, I played keyboards as well in the time, and I played guitar with the Steve Miller Band. So it's weird. I, I really enjoy the different challenges that each instrument bring. And when I'm composing, I, I definitely compose differently on each instrument. So it's nice to have all those things in my arsenal. And the other thing is, is I can pretty much do the whole production myself. I don't have to hire any outside musicians unless, of course, I choose to. And I... In recent years, I really like playing with other people and that that interaction and that conversation that happens naturally in the studios. And you have your own studio. Oh, yeah. Sure do. I'm in a very historic building in Minneapolis called Creation. It was a theater back at the turn of the century in the 1910s. Then during the 1940s, my mother and father were recording session musicians in the 40s and 50s. Then it was also another... Rec- it's been a record a recording studio for, I don't know, almost 80 years. So we're back in there, and I did my first record there. We've done Paula Abdul records there. We've done so many records that those walls could talk. It's a fantastic place. So how many records did you make uh, as your own? As St. Paul? Yes. Uh, I did two records, one on MCA, uh, and then I did another one on Atlantic, and then I've had many... Uh, uh, independent releases after that, when uh, especially when the internet came about, I was one of the first ones to kind of get out there and do my own thing, and, and, and uh, it was refreshing and difficult. And you know, I'm not saying that that was an easy <laughs> choice to make when you don't have that big machine, but also, you know, you seem to reap a lot of the benefits. You also have to do all the hard work of marketing and funding and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I prefer that way. Um, that way you have your hands in all portions of the business and you know exactly what's going on or not going on. So you were very close to Prince, weren't you? Many years ago. Many years ago. We, uh, we had uh, a very good working relationship back when I was a kid, but he was more of a mentor and a teacher back in those days. He had a vision. We served a purpose in that story. He would have us... You know, for the uh, for example, for the family, he would come in and he'd 
record the whole record with his vocal. Then he would have a producer come in and say, hey, have Paul sing exactly how I sang this. Same inflections, same licks. So it was definitely his vision on those things, right? It wasn't my turn to be the creative and expressive one. It was his baby. And that's fine That's because that's what it was. And that if you didn't want to do that, you weren't invited back, right? And that's fine. At one point, I got um, different offers because Prince was so on fire at that point in time that many, many different record labels came knocking at the door. And I, uh, you know, I entertained those offers, and they were saying, look, we realize that you're just doing what you have to do with Prince here, but why don't you come and be creative? We know you, you have a musical family. We realize that this could be a really good opportunity for you to be expressive yourself. And that's when I ended up leaving the Prince camp. Now, of course, with Prince, that wasn't his favorite decision that I've ever made in my life. So he and I were at odds for a little while. And uh, it, that was probably back in 1986. The funny thing is, is that even though we were at odds, when my brother started being a staff producer at Paisley Park Records, I was playing on all those records. So we may not have gotten along, but I was still in the building playing all, on all that music thanks to my my brother Ricky and when we when that kind of went by the wayside I wrote him a letter and I said it was my opportunity to kind of have some closure on that whole thing cuz we wouldn't talk we wouldn't be hanging out but he just knew I was in the building I was just like this is enough of this so I wrote him a letter and I just said thank you for what you've done for me and for my family I'm really appreciative of of, of the opportunities that you've given to us thank you very much and goodbye well, the next day, I get a cold phone call from Prince that says, Prince wants to see you, or from his people. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> Just when I thought I was getting out, they pull me back in. So I went up to the offices, and uh, he called me in, and he said, what are you doing? And I was touring with Steve Miller or David or somebody at that point in time. And uh, I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm working and writing and doing records. He said, do you want to be in my band? I said, I've got big eyes, and he said, it's going to be an all-meatless band. Because when, Matt, remember when mad cow disease was a big thing? Okay. So he decided to go completely vegetarian. He made his band go all vegetarian. So that was the, if I wanted to be, not eat meat, I could be in his band. I'm just like, no, man, thank you very much, but I'm going to pass on that. So that was kind of our meeting, getting things back rolling in the right direction. And then in recent years, we've gone out and hung out, and I've gone to see him play. He was very cordial. I ended up getting the family back together as F Deluxe, and we played your club last October, which was really fun. And unfortunately, I was away, so I missed it. I'm so well. We want to come back so you can see it. But but, uh, but I'm happy to see your show this time around. Oh yeah. Yes. So did you ever made up with him, and uh, you you continued to be friends, or that was the end of the relationship? Before he passed away, we had very good interactions and very nice long talks. And he was, uh, you know, it's nice to end on good terms. It was not the end, actually. We started having another relationship in the last five years, which, like what I said, I, we were, wanted to call F Deluxe the family, which was what we were called in 1985. He had a problem with that, so we, I went out to Paisley. We had a conversation about that, and I said, okay, well, look, we won't call it the family. We'll call it something else, and we're putting out new music anyways. He was very um, proud of what we were doing, and he would even tweet about it and, and you know, tell his fans that 
we sh- they should check out our record. And then we ended up playing LP Music, which is another band that you should know about. Uh, Eric Leeds, who was here, is the lead, is the uh, saxophonist in F Deluxe. He and I have an instrumental funk uh, avant-garde band, and they just played in Minneapolis last night. So Prince had just asked us to come out and play that gig. He was going to sit in with us. He gave us a great big hug. That was September, and and in uh, April, the following April, he passed away. But it was a really good to see him that last time. And it's just been a year. I can't believe it, man. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, the whole... I, I didn't really realize the impact that he had on the music world until I saw what people and all the tributes that were being done throughout the world from different places, coloring their bridges and buildings purple and... Of course, the the wonderful memorial bridge, or not bridge, but uh, fence that they had around Paisley Park, they were just filled with photos and drawings and guitars and flowers. And he really had an incredible impact. I always knew he had an impact on me, but I guess I didn't know how far-reaching it was. And uh, you, you really built an empire. He it did, was a musical was empire, wasn't it? Musical business. If you, really, if you want to look at it from a business point of view, he was brilliant. He knew exactly the product he wanted to put out. He developed it. He knew, he knew exactly what it should look like, what it should sound like, how it should be presented, where every aspect of it he had his hands in. And he thought so far outside of the box. Well, he knew that the CD productions were coming to an end because one of his last CDs he gave for free. He did. He did. And one of the most brilliant things that he did before that, when CDs were still a thing, when he was independent, is when he went over to do a, I think, a two-week stint in London, he gave away his record in the Sunday paper and accounted towards record sales, something like that, or else when you buy a ticket, you get a free CD or something like that, but that counted towards his charting abilities and Billboard and all those different things. So he really was... Quite a good businessman. Yeah, it, it backfired sense. with the record stores, but by that stage, they were all getting out of business anyway. He saw it before it happened, yeah. I, I don't know how he did it, but he did. He knew about it. He understood the, the music business better than anyone else. Um, and so you're here with an extraordinary band. Do you want to, to run through the musicians you have with you? Yeah, I'd love to. So again, I, I, my brother Ricky Peterson is on keyboards and vocals. Uh, incredible, incredible musician. Um, all the musos should come out just to hear these guys that I have with me. Mike Scott is on guitar, and Mike's history, he was with Prince for 15 years playing guitar, and now he tours with uh, Justin Timberlake and Jay-Z and Rihanna. So he's a he's a heavy player. And he and I played in bands back in the 80s and early 90s back in Minneapolis. And then Joey Figure on drums, he's an incredible incredible drummer uh, he lives in las vegas now but uh he was a staple on the minneapolis club scene back in the 80s um has toured with boss Gags, david sanborn uh, and those kind of people uh, sheena easton from the prince camp and we have a, a really cool presentation that really showcases the music that we were a part of making in Minneapolis, called the Minneapolis Sound. And when you think of the Minneapolis Sound, it's kind of a funky sound, right? You think of Prince, you think of the time, you think of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, but there are a lot of us musicians who either toured or helped make those records, not unlike the Funk Brothers. 
And that's really what the Minneapolis Funk All-Stars are. It's a collection of different musicians. It's not necessarily the same group every time. And that's what makes it fun for me, is that I get to pick and choose the different players that can come out. And they add their own individual blend of musicality to the All-Stars. And we, we play songs from the time, um, all the records that were made famous in Minneapolis. I mean, not only Prince, but so many different artists. And that's what this is about. This, this particular gig at your place uh, through Sunday is, you know, uh, being the one-year anniversary of Prince's death, of course, we're tipping our hat a little bit more towards the music that we were a part of. Uh, and I was with him in the Purple Rain days, so we get, we're doing some fun stuff with the, some of the Purple Rain songs. Songs on the record, anyway. So that's what we can expect from your gig. Yeah, along with a lot of great video production, and uh, it's, it's, it's a very interactive storyteller kind of a concert. Our engineer, uh, Pete Camilleri, he tells me uh, that uh, you have uh, uh, used the venue to the f maximum extent <laughs> of its uh, technical abilities. <laughs> We really have. I'm so happy about it. I don't think any artist has used the video facilities we have in the venue and you are using them. So that's I think fantastic. It's such an important part of, of what a show is. This is, even though this is a jazz club, this is... Um, no, we are, we are, we are a jazz club, but we define ourselves as a music that's venue. That's exactly. I, I would agree with that statement. And, and we, we define it as good music, of course. Mm. And, uh, I mean, jazz is fantastic, but there are so many other genres that are great, and uh, we, we are embracing them. Well, he's been great. By the way, you have one hell of a guy over here. He's been so accommodating, and we appreciate him. Oh, Peter him is fantastic, yeah. He's an activist, as I told you. Uh, he's an anti-nuclear activist. Uh, anyone who wants to check that uh, his page on, on uh -oh. Facebook go will understand. <laughs> Um, that's him uh, laughing in the background. Okay, Peter. So, so um, uh, St. Paul, can I ask you a few que personal questions, quick personal questions? Um, um, and uh, you, yes, you, you can answer them or skip them, no. whatever, whatever you want. Uh, but they're, they're very simple to answer, I think. Uh, is, is fitness important to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so what do you do uh, for fitness? Well, it's so funny you'd ask that because when I was here in October, I was training for a marathon. So the way I saw the city was by running. I, I had to do a 17-miler and a 20-miler while I, when I was here and then do two shows a night. So, so what is your time for the last marathon you ran? What was my time? I'm an yes. old man. So it's not good. It's just the fact that I finished. The fact that you finished it Three is hours quite, and 30 minutes. Well, it's it pretty good. It's pretty good. I what, think why? To, What's your time? To qualify to the Boston, I think you need three hours, right? Yeah, well, that ain't but, happening. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm not that good. Time? I don't want to kill myself. I just want to be fit. Can I tell you, I, I've, I've ever run half a marathon. That's about it. Yeah? Uh, my knees you and have, me, tomorrow morning, have, we're going training. My knees have never allowed me to run more than that. <laughs> we'll go for uh, three miles. But run. I've got two black belts in Hapkido. So uh, I'm not I, taking I, you I, on I, I, do I do martial arts. Okay. Uh, that's uh, the way I keep fit. Yeah, running is a, f a relatively new uh, passion of mine in the last five years. And it, it, you know what it does for me? Not only does it keep me fit, but I get to listen to great music. I'm away from my phone. I don't have to try to text and run and answer, be a business guy. I clear my head and I get my most creative ideas when I'm running. Fantastic. And so diet, your dietary. Not a good one when I'm here because I, I can't. Marino fills me up with so much beautiful pasta when I'm here. We are looking after you. I, I, yes, you are. I think I'm going to gain about 10 pounds. But, 
you know, I, I'm a sugaraholic. I love sugar. So what I try to do is I just try to limit my sugar during the week. And on the weekends, I will go crazy. And then, uh, you know, it's really, I'm trying to learn the word moderation, which is a very difficult word for myself. But nothing extraordinary. I'm trying to keep my cholesterol low. I take a lot of vitamins and drink a lot of water and a lot of coffee. I don't recommend that for everybody, but uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of coffee I can ingest. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your your instrument, uh, just uh, for the musicians that are listening and uh, the students. So what uh, type of bass do you play? Right now I'm playing a Fender 5-string American Elite uh, bass, which is uh, uh, a beautiful instrument. It's both active and passive. When I played with Peter Frampton last year all summer, I used flat wounds on that and, and ro rolled it in a, a passive kind of old school kind of sound. For gigs like this, I'll put a brighter string on, switch it to active. It gets a little bit more growly, uh, bright top end. And I play with a pick a lot. That's kind of my signature sound. And so I still get the nice deep low end, uh -huh. the little top little front end with uh, the attack of my pick. It's funny because Prince actually taught me a lot about bass playing. He's a very underrated bass player. And but that's, that's quite unusual to, to use a pick for bass. Especially in funk. There's, there's a f not many of us out there. In fact, um, uh, Rocco Pastia from Tower of Power gives me crap all the time for playing with a pick because he always plays with his fingers. But when you play with a pick, of course, you eliminate a lot of the low end. So you not must... necessarily. How do you do that? Well, it depends. It's all in your hands, you know. It depends on how you approach it. I can make it as thin as I want to make it by the way I stroke the string. But I can also mute it. I can also take some edge off. It depends on what string I'm using. It depends on the settings that I have in my pedals. And It's a pretty simple setup, but I, I can get a lot of versatility out of that fender. And do you use some pedals as well? I do. Right now, for this, for this type of gig, I'm using a lot of old-school boss pedals and they've been really good to me and i love the sound that they that comes out for them i have a completely unique and and uh a different rig back at home that i used for the peter frampton tour but for this i really like the sound that i'm getting out of that uh, that boss pedal board it's really old school so what amp did you decide to use we've got several ones here for, well i'm, for I'm signed by uh galleon kruger that is my amp of choice and that's what i like to play through is that what we got that no, not, not this time around. No, we had it last time, and I'm yeah. not sure something got crossed. So but, what, have, uh, what have we got uh, this time? The Magwitz. Mark, so Mark that's, that sounds great. That's it's just not, uh, I, I don't have a relationship with that company. It's a good sounding bass amp, but uh, I usually prefer the Galleon Kruger. Kruger. Uh, they've been very good to me for about 20 years. So you are playing at Bird's Basement until Sunday the 23rd? I am, yes. And uh, you've got uh, today until, we are Thursday. Yep. We're recording this on Thursday the 20th. Um, we've got two, show, two shows two a shows night, a night. Until, until yep. Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be a party. I, uh, I really, uh, I'm so pleased to be back here playing this incredible club. And you guys have such a, a great staff. And it's such a cool club. I mean, I love this place. The lighting, the, the staff, the food, the music, the sound system, everything is really, really top-notch. And, you know, for 40 bucks, you get to hear some imported Minneapolis funk. Well, absolutely. Well, St. Paul, it was really good to talk to you, and it was an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your first podcast. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you. 
There you have it, the first podcast of The Bird's Basement Show is completed. What do you think of it? Have you found any interesting information about St. Paul? Please write to me at info at birdsbasement.com or you can tweet at birdsbasement hashtag The Bird's Basement Show, no apostrophe. Or leave a comment on this website. Until next time, I'm available.